welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Get ready to hear stories of someone brave enough to bear it all. Let's get naked. Welcome to the Naked Podcaster. Today I have Danny Heinsen, and I'm excited. This is very unique because we know each other. You're here in Reno with me. Mm-hmm. And we met on a running team. I remember we were doing track workouts on Wednesdays, and you kicked my butt in speed. <laughs> and one time we were running together, we were doing the cool down, we were running, and I was like, tell me about yourself. And when you told me your story, I was completely blown away. And so how many years ago was that? I don't even, eight years? Endurance Reno? Yeah. I think Endurance Reno was 2013, 2014, because I did my second Ironman in 2014, and I was with Endurance Reno. I think that's connected in 2013 or 2012. Yeah. So seven or eight years because I haven't, I haven't been on the team in like six and a half years. So it had to, I knew. So it's been like seven or eight years that we met and I heard your story. So I'm super excited. Your, you have, we have two websites we're going to talk about. And the first one is your name. I'll have everything linked in the description so people can find you on all social media and on both, but it's dannyheinson.com. And for those of you who cannot pronounce or spell that name, we have it for you. So jump in and tell me about that website. Yeah. Thank you, Jen. Well, the website is really a, a conglomeration of all my, my life experiences and the lessons that I can share with others. Um, you know, the context of, you know, what you kind of described is, you know, in, in retrospect, you know, what are the lessons that I learned that can be applicable for today? You know, I'm a brain cancer survivor diagnosed the day after I graduated college. Um, you know, we had the dot-com recession two and a half years when I finished, so there's no jobs, you know, very similar to what we're going through right now in the COVID era. And then, you know, when, you, when you're a survivor of cancer, it's like, well, I don't know how much time I have. So, you know, life is short and you don't want to be wasting it doing on something you don't, don't enjoy. Not to say that I didn't enjoy um, engineering. <laughs> I was an electrical engineering graduate. Um, but after that whole ordeal and then with the cards stacked up against me, it was like, okay, you know, I love sports. I love music. And... And just by the law of, law of attraction, when you talk about personal branding, I think, you know, I have, a, I have a, um, an hour breakout session or luncheon for, for businesses or the sports industry about, um, you know, really, really being able to leverage your experience um, and creating a brand out of that. And I always start with passion because, you know, you look, you, you, there, everybody's an expert in everything these days, right? But I think when you're passionate about something, that truly separates you from everyone else because you could feel it. You could feel it in their tone. You could feel it in their energy. And um, it's, that, it's that passion that, that people uh, want to invest in. You know, maybe it's, it's not going to be the right alignment for anybody, but in terms of, you know, what you stand for and having that clarity on what it is you stand for, I think is like really vital, especially like in the digital age. Um, social media age because there's so much there's so much noise out there and having that that clarity and having that sole purpose okay you know what is how, do, how can I identify with, with Danny you know what what is he into you know I'm in triathlons you know um, riding bikes hiking um, you know an entrepreneur um, you know anything that involves endurance which was obviously their um, endurance sports was my anti-depression de- depressant and really my savior uh, when I came out of chemotherapy, and I know we'll get into that later, but um, 
Yeah. Uh, so in terms of the dannyheinson.com website, it's, it's really about, uh, you know, what I've learned over the past 20 years as a survivor. And 2020 just happens to be my 20th year remission from brain cancer. And I have, I have three keynote platforms. The one that I recently developed was um, about Q3 or Q4 of last year, because I knew it was going to be my 20th year remission. So I thought if I was to take, if I was to share three lessons about what I learned about creating success through overcoming brain cancer, through um, you know finishing chemotherapy in 2000, entering a two and a half year recession, the dot com recession. There's no jobs, much like you know we are in today. And then you know, came to the realization that you know life is short. Um, I don't know how much time I have. I'm gonna pursue the things that that I enjoy, and uh, just kind of leave it at that. And then, you know, getting into business and then building an entire portfolio of a startup company, working with the biggest names in pro sports and corporate sponsorship. And then, you know, starting my foundation in 2010 to celebrate my 10th year remission from brain cancer, doing an Ironman triathlon, and then completely reinventing myself again, and then going all in on my foundation to create a sustainable infrastructure and, you know, awarding scholarships to kids that have survived cancer all across the country. Like, how do you, how do you scale that? Um, so the, if I was a, you know, on the, on the keynote stage, I, I tell my, my story in the context of the three disciplines of success, because, you know, um, we're both athlete, athletes who both train with other triathletes. And that's very relevant to my story because, um, you know, I'm, I'm an, I'm a two-time Ironman. I've done several halves. I've done several marathons. So the three disciplines of triathlon are, or swim, bike, and run, right? But there's actually a fourth discipline to triathlon, and that discipline is transition. You know, because we get really good at our disciplines in life, whether, no matter what it is, no matter whether it's our profession or our daily routines, but when the unexpected happens and we have to adapt to a different set of circumstances, it's that transition period that determines how we come out on the other end or how fast we can transition from depression to, you know, to, to happiness, you know? And then, so basically the three disciplines, um, and these are, they're, they're, they have, they're, they have, they're commonalities throughout my entire journey, no matter where I was in my, you know, in the, in the process of cancer, you know, cancer to survivor, um, athlete, Ironman, so on and so forth. And the first discipline is clarity clarity. What do you want to accomplish and why is that important to you? Um, and then the second discipline. So once you, I mean, clarity is huge because if you don't have clarity, it's really hard to, to convey, you know, what you want the world to understand about you. If, if you, if you're unable to convey that in a clear, concise way, especially if you're an entrepreneur, um, it's going to get really muddy really fast. Um, yeah. you know, I've, I've done several iterations of building my brand and yeah, clarity is huge. Um, and then the second discipline is commitment. How do you define success and what is necessary to achieve it? And then the third discipline is uh, community because we need each other to succeed. So when I'm on that stage and I'm talking about, you know, the three disciplines of success, I'm weaving my, my, my journey in my story and how that's all relevant. And I'm throwing it back to the audience and um, having them answer the questions as well. You do the keynote speaking and you also do workshops and you do a lot with sales and B2B. 
So that's a far cry from engineering. Um, and you know, I think I call it pivoting, but reinventing, I mean, whatever we call it, it's really common for entrepreneurs when you're finding that clarity, even if it seems super clear at one point, it's not uncommon to pivot and make changes with that too. I think people really beat themselves up about that, mm-hmm. but it's, it's not uncommon. And because I've known you for seven or eight years, I know that the message that I read on your website is exactly the story you told me seven or eight years ago. So maybe, you know, in who you work with or how you do that or what that looks like may switch a little bit or being really clear in your message may, you can dial that everybody, we can all dial that in more, but your message is the same as the first conversation I had with you. So don't beat yourself up about that one. Yeah. Thank you. Can I, can I, can I share something about that? Uh, Yeah. So, um, you know, when I, when I finished my Ironman in 2010 and I was like, you know, I had this huge passion. I want to, you know, that's when I kind of got bit by the entrepreneur bug. It's like, man, this is cool. I'm, I'm actually creating something, you know, that's going to benefit people out of, out of my own story and out of my own passions and everything, the triathlons. And, you know, my, my foundation is called my hometown heroes because the people who were there for me when I was diagnosed back in 99, 2000 were my heroes. And a little, little backstory on that is, um, I was, you know, I knew I, I wanted to call it hometown heroes. And just because of that, the fact that they, my, my heroes were in the hospital for me. Yeah. And one of my, one of my buddies who works in NASCAR, he, I'm really good friends with him and his wife and we've done a lot of business together over the years. So, um, we kind of kept in touch and he's all, you know, what can I do to help you out? Um, so man, I have no idea how to, how to start a business. I don't know how to, I don't know how to create a website, blah, blah, blah. blah. I don't even know how to buy a domain name. (laughs) So he kind of helped me with that. And he said, you know what? Hometown heroes is already taken, but my hometown heroes is available. So actually that had a better ring because when you say my, you take ownership in it. Yeah. So, um, you know, but, um, I, I might be going some. No, that's thought, but. the second. It's I didn't want. I said two websites because my hometown heroes. Your website is a business, but my hometown heroes um, is completely different. So that was a perfect segue into that. And you know, I mean, all of us in this community know who you are and what your story is, and about my hometown heroes. And it's grown. So I've seen it for seven or eight years now. Um, that out of ten. So that's what a privilege. So definitely. So let's talk about that. Tell me about my hometown heroes. Cause this came from such a place in your heart. I love it. Yeah. Well, when I started the foundation, you know, I, I had been, I've raised a ton of money for leukemia and lymphoma society through team and training from, you know, 2002 to 2008. And I was really passionate. You know, I was a, I raised over $125,000 over the course of, I don't know, six years. I was the cycling coach for team and training for three years. I'd done the uh, team and training triple crown. I did the marathon. I did the hundred mile bike ride. I coached the bike ride and I also did my first marathon under team and training. And they were huge, huge support. Leukemia and Lymphoma Society team and training was huge for me and in the, the community around that. I mean, that, I mean, the community was paramount, you know, it, it was, it's all about the people who, who were part of that and made that happen. Um, then in 2009, uh, I kind of took a step away from, from team and training. It just wasn't, the new leadership in there just wasn't vibing with me. So I kind of took a step back. And um, 2009, I did the Escape from Alcatraz Triathlon. And when I finished, it came to my realization, you know, because I had all this endurance space anyway, I think I'm going to do an Ironman Triathlon 
in 2010 to celebrate my 10th year remission from brain cancer. 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, 26.2 mile run. So uh, got together with a couple of my buddies. We went out to lunch and okay, okay, we're gonna raise $10,000. Are we gonna raise $10,000 for, for uh, Leukemia and Lymphoma Society for, you know, to, for the decade milestone? Are we gonna do it for like Livestrong? And then one of my buddies goes, why don't you start a foundation? Why don't you, why don't you start a scholarship fund? So just like off the cuff like that. Okay, so my hometown heroes became a scholarship fund. So went on, I did Ironman Canada, raised over $10,000 that year. And uh, I was working a full-time job and I had, I, had, I had a life. I worked for a startup company in 2002 and um, you know, we designed and manufactured backstage passes for concert tours. And then I was the kind of the lead guy, develop our portfolio in the sports industry as well. But so I, I had I had a very good sensibility when it came to like business development and marketing and branding. Um, but I also had this new passion with the foundation as well. And it's like, how can I make them both work? And that was a, that was a real struggle for me. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, then I then I started speaking. And, you know, when, it, when you're when you talk about like personal branding, you know, you you're out when you're out in the marketplace kind of selling you know what you have or what what you what you specialize in or whatever your story or um you know for you know podcasting or whatnot um you know I, I had to really do a deep dive into that and uh you know some people suggested oh well maybe, why don't you just do my hometown heroes and you're speaking under one roof and other people says no you have to have make it a separate entity mm -hmm. so it took a while to kind of struggle through that and I did the struggle while I was still on a corporate before I took that. I don't call it a giant leap. I call it more of a giant step. Uh, so um, I knew that. So I left that left corporate at the end of 2015 so I could start scaling the foundation. Um, and, you know, since I left, we've quadrupled our impact and capacity of the foundation. And we've awarded, uh, I think, 115 scholarships to young adult cancer survivors from across the country, anywhere between a grand and $5,000 each. Um, That's so. incredible. Um, leaving corporate, how scary was that in 2015? Because that was kind of, I mean, I saw working as a, at a separate job while I was building my business as like a, a crutch, but it was safe. It wasn't scary to do that, you know. Um, I knew it was going to make money. So what was it like to just make that leap? Yeah, well, I, I kind of had, um, you know, having the odds stacked against me after college and cancer and everything everything kind of came back around and, you know, I, I was, I was a victim of the housing crisis back in 2007 and lost my ass. Um, so, um, but I, so I moved in with, with mom, uh, not too long cause my, my father passed away in 2010. So I wanted to make sure she was okay. And, um, so we, you know, it was, it was a win-win situation. I didn't have a, I no longer had a mortgage payment. Mm -hmm. My cars were paid off. I didn't have any like capital overhead or anything like that. So, um, and before I left corporate, it was an 18 month exit strategy for me. You know, yeah. I wanted, I want to make sure all the pieces were in place to where when it was time, I can, I can just go and I can, I can hit it hard. Well, in my case in 2016, I, I kind of wanted to take some time to, to detox from <laughs> some of the things that were going on in corporate for a while that just, just didn't gel with me. Um, so I, Took some time and I, I really started. Go, I went to CancerCon, which is a conference that addresses 
the population of young adult cancer survivors so I could learn a little bit more about the market and how my hometown heroes could fit into that ecosystem. So we've awarded scholarships on the behalf of that initiative. Um, so uh, that's what was the question again? I, sorry. That's okay. My hometown heroes has been incredible. And I knew, I, I mean, I know from just knowing you and the times that we've met, we've caught up again, mm -hmm. you know, that at first you were speaking, doing everything under my home heroes. That was, that was your big, uh, that was a catalyst that kind of got you going. But then at some point you had to branch off, which you did. So mm -hmm. you being able to leave corporate and like, and because we know a lot of the same people, you know, you went to St. George and did a marathon there. Half Ironman. Yeah. Oh, half Ironman. Okay. Sorry. I mean, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. So I, like, I hear about what you're doing and I know that there was a time when you had to think, okay, am I going to do everything under the nonprofit, my hometown heroes mm -hmm. and all my speaking is going to be that, or there's all these other things that you were doing and able to give for sales. And I loved that you're so into sports. And so you just want to work with people in sports. Just doesn't that make sense? Totally. I love that. And then you, you split off and you created a separate website and you left corporate. So I'm just proud of you. I just wanted to, you did. And so I'm just shouting out. I, I appreciate that, Jen. Thank you. Um, yeah. So um, you, you, you brought a, a thought to mind because 2014 was really like my breakthrough year is like, cause you know, throughout my whole, the first 10 years of survivorship, I like, I, I wrote this essay, like, in year in, in month three of a year of chemotherapy back in October 2000 or October 1999, and I made a hundred copies, sent a copy to my 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 neurosurgeon, my oncologist, all my friends and my family, and it was like, God, you need to write a book about this. And um, you know, going through the whole re the dot com recession, and then just all the anxiety and the depression and tapering off all the steroids from 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 chemotherapy, I, I was just like my head wasn't in the, in the right place. There was a lot more, um, recovering to do, um, you know, from like a, a neuro linguistic standpoint, I had a really hard time understanding, or I heard people, but when it came time to like acknowledge them in terms of what they said, I, I really struggled with that. And I would say, you know, I, I, I probably didn't have total recall until like six or seven years after chemotherapy when everything kind of came back. Um, because I had a massive seizure complication that was pretty much, you know, if you, if you re read about what happens to the brain, if you have a stroke, mm -hmm. that's what the seizure did to my head for the most part. Um, so yeah, digressing again. let's jump, let's go back into the struggle because okay. here you have parents. Um, I've met your mom. You are at the end of college. Mm -hmm degree in engineering kicking ass and taking names what was happening in that last year yeah that that last year you know it was my last year in college and I pretty much had the framework of my life ahead of me you know I was gonna graduate college I had plans to backpack Europe with my best friends for two and a half months and you know I was a, I was a senator for the College of Engineering at the University of Nevada and I, I just I mean in terms of like having my resume ready to go before I graduated I, I had I had everything I had all the right pieces in place and then um, you know I'm supposed to go to Europe and then um, a week before I graduated I, I woke up and I had this headache you know and I was supposed to leave for Europe like two days two days after college graduation 
and it's like a migraine. You know, I'm 23 years old. It's like, I'm not even thinking twice about it. So I wake up Monday, have a headache again. And then Tuesday, I'm running in the base paths in a softball game. It just felt like a, this river rock is just pounding into my skull. So I'm like, okay, all right. Clearly something's not right. So I set up a couple of appointments with, uh, you know, I think like my family doctor and a local medical clinic to get a couple of opinions. And they're all, oh, yeah, it's stress of finals, anxiety to graduate. And we were excited to go to Europe. Here's a couple of prescriptions. Call us back. You know the routine. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so Saturday was the best I felt all week after a week of enduring the headaches and graduated on Sunday. And then Monday, the headaches came back with a vengeance. And, um, my dad and I went to the emergency room at St. Mary's and after two and a half hours of testing, uh, blood tests, CAT scans, um, all that good stuff. I meet him back in the waiting room and he says, you know, I guess, you know, in retrospect, when the doctors told my dad, they, they probably gave him a choice. Do you want us to tell him or do you want to tell him? Mm. So I met my dad in the waiting room and he says, it doesn't look like you're going to Europe. The doctors think you have a tumor. So I had a, um, a craniotomy that was on a Monday. The operation took place on a Thursday, but between Monday and Thursday, um, you know, I get back to my hospital room and I'm like, fuck, man, I'm a brain tumor, <laughs> 23 years old, um, about to kick ass and take names. How is that possible? I know. Yeah, right. So I'm like, in, I'm like, get back. So I'm get back to my my room, and I'm like, I'm, I'm I don't know what to do. So I reach out. I, I reach out to my best friends. I said, Hey, man, I just got diagnosed with a brain tumor. So like, you know, within within the next with minutes, like people started coming to the hospital, and like that when people came to the hospital during those first few days before that initial operation, that I was like, this isn't about me anymore. This is. I'm fighting for them. You know, I, I can't let them down. You know, this is like, so I have so much gratitude in my heart. Um, so like my reason for getting through this was because of them, you know, I didn't want to, all the support, I'm not gonna let them down. Um, hence why I called my foundation, my hometown heroes. Right. Right. Which is incredible. And, you know, having a legitimate brain tumor, what are the what are the odds? What's the, is there a statistic that you know of at 23 that you'd have? That's something people joke about. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you don't think it's ever really going to happen because it's not that common. So do you have any idea what the statistics are? Well, I think the only uh, association <laughs> association that people have with brain tumors is uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger from Kindergarten Cop. It's not a tumor. <laughs> like that was going through my head. Like when I heard brain tumor, it's like, it's not a tumor. And that's all. I mean, that was probably, I think that's probably like the extent that anybody has about brain tumors is that line in Kindergarten Cop. They're so low. And at 23, you just graduate. You just have a headache. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So your surgery is Thursday. What's a craniotomy? What is that like? Yeah, so a, a craniotomy is where they actually open up your skull and they start picking your brain. <laughs> you know, in a in a medical term, right? Um, you know, they 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 crack up, they open up the skull, and then they they do biopsies on what's what's going on in there. And and not all two. You know, there's two types of uh, cancers, right? There's benign, 
which is non-cancer, and there's malignant, which is cancerous. Um, and not knowing what benign or malignant meant back then and still being, you know, pretty ignorant 23-year-old college grad, um, I just thought, you know, all right, we're, we're going to get through this. And um, I kept on hearing the word oncologist over the past several weeks. And I, I don't know what oncologist, because no one, no, no one ever told me that malignant or, you know, oncology was related to cancer. So it didn't, it didn't really register in my head. Um, but uh, after, you know, after my uh, first craniotomy at St. Mary's back in May of 1999, um, I, I had, there's like three episodes I remember like waking up. So like the first one was, um, you know, I've, I've been under anesthesia over 30 times, general anesthesia over 30 times, and it's not pretty. Um, so when I got, woke up from my first craniotomy, I woke up like terrified, like I, I couldn't breathe, I had trouble breathing. And then um, I, I might've woken up, you know, I, I've read, the operation was already, already finished, but I may have woken up at a certain time to where the anesthesia um, wore off. And that's why I woke up trying to well, breathless. And then the second episode I remember is my friend Paul, like I was kind of at a calm and kind of remember like figments of people around there. But one thing I remember is Paul because we were, we were buddies in high school and college and yeah, I, I still have a landline. Sorry. <laughs> um, I'm going to keep that in there just so we all know. That's right. That's right. And uh, yeah, so, so the second episode was, I, I remember Paul, he's got like the most perfect teeth like you've ever seen on a human being. I just remember his like big old pearly white smiling. And then um, the, the third episode I remember was like my new reality, right? I, I woke up and never been hit by a bus. But if I was to get hit by a bus, that's what I felt like. Um, I, I couldn't see straight. I, I, I could barely move, um, barely talk. And that was my new reality. And what, what had happened is um, when the neurosurgeon replaced my original skull flap after he took out what was in there, um, there was still a lot of swelling, which is what caused the headaches in the first place was that intense cranial pressure um, that caused a headache. So what happened was I, I um, was talking to my parents in the morning, I guess, and while I was, I guess I was cracking jokes or something probably under the, the juice, the anesthesia. And then all of a sudden I, I passed out and I had a massive seizure. And um, that's, that's, you know, that was where the struggle, like, really I got that's when I fell into the abyss of the struggle right there um, but at the same time there was a lot of hope that oh you know you know in, in a couple months you know I could be a lot better and then so I had a third craniotomy in UCLA uh, two months later and you know met the uh, neurosurgeon who's actually ends up being one of the best neurosurgeons in the world um, and you know when I went my dad went my dad and I went to go see her uh, down in LA before we flew back to UCLA for the operation. You know, there's like risks, you know, just like anything else in life, there's always risks if you want to get out there. And, you know, I could have, I could have more seizures. I could have a stroke. I could even die, you know, after this third craniotomy. So, you know, I talk about this in my book and I think I talk about it in my Ted talk as well, but um, you know, 
you, you always have a choice in life and I chose hope. What was the reason for the three surgeries? They were pretty close together. So yeah. why, after now, after the first one, they did they remove the tumor on the first one? Yeah, so they removed the tumor, and it's only supposed to be that operation to get the biopsies to examine the tissue blocks and what was going on in, in there. But then um, because, because they patched me back up and I had the inner intense intracranial pressure where I had that massive seizure they had to open up me open it up again like the next day so those are two back-to-back -back surgeries day after day and then when I woke up they actually removed the entire skull flap from my head so I didn't have any bone right here in this area um, for over two months so um, there's no protection to my brain except for you know the flesh that was over it so obviously that had to be fixed um, so Walk around with your brain hanging out. I know, right? Yeah. That's not good. Well, at least people could see what's on my mind, right? But anyway. <laughs> anyway, geez. Now that so, first day that it was malignant also. Well, I didn't know it was malignant, but and so so okay. I went to UCLA and then, you know, then they did a cranioplasty and patched everything up. They did a final biopsy. And so that was actually the best I felt all this whole time after my first operation was when I got back from UCLA and you know it's you know it's standard protocol like you have to have brain surgery to let your brain heal for three weeks so um during the process of recovery I like okay yeah okay we have an oncologist we want you to see Dr. Conrad who's awesome by the way and um comes into the you know my dad and I are in the Meet, meet Dr. Conrath in, in his office, and he says, uh, yeah, we concluded that you have a primary central nervous system lymphoma. I'm like, what the hell is that? I'm, I'm no like, kidding. what is that, cancer? He's all, he didn't say anything, he just went, just shook his head, and that's, I was like, oh, oh, okay. I like guess, only I, did, humor. I guess shit just got real. <sighs> so, like his, so he had this regimen that was gonna be, um, four months of weekly chemotherapy, like super intense chemotherapy. They're gonna put what was called a Amaya reservoir into my head that would be surgically implanted in there for the rest of my life. And that's where they would administer the chemo. Then I'd have like five weeks of radiation after that. And then like another month of chemo. And I was like, holy crap. That sucks. So then like the next day, and I talk about this in my TED talk is um, I got a call from the oncologist in UCLA who had been following my case very closely because I was 23 years old. I was still, I was pretty healthy um, physically that there's this treatment up at uh, Oregon Health Science University up in Portland, Oregon called the uh, blood brain barrier disruption. So this type of chemo that would last an entire year. So it'd be, you know, over twice as long as the original regimen here in town but there wasn't any radiation involved. And because I'd, ha I'd have to fly out to Oregon with my family once a month for an entire year instead of having weekly chemo and then radiation. So that was like, all right, if we're gonna come out of this thing long-term success, we need to invest. You know, We need to invest in this treatment. We need to fly up to Oregon, pull in Oregon once a month and get treatment and, um, you know, I think because I, because they took a racquetball out of my head, you know, first and foremost. And yeah, the fact, I mean, the reason, I mean, there's so many reasons why I called my book for a reason, but, um, you know, I didn't have to go through radiation. 
you know, to treat brain cancer and radiation to the brain. It's like that, that's, that's a tough road, you know, and I'm very blessed and fortunate that, um, that I was able to go through this treatment and, you know, July this year, 2020, baby, 20 years remission. Yeah. Lots to celebrate. The, the tumor was removed and you did the chemo, but that process and then the seizures, how long did that last? Did they figure out, when did they figure out how to control it or stop it? What medication long-term? Talk to me about that. Yeah. So that, you know, when I finished chemo, you know, cause you know, when I was going through chemo, I had to give myself self injections in my leg or my stomach, like every day for seven to 10 days, like white blood cells and blood thinners, like seven to 10 days after each month when I got back from Portland, Oregon. And, um, you know, when I finished chemo, I was like, I don't want to have any, I don't want to have any medications whatsoever. But the one medication that I had to keep an eye on that, the last medication was uh, um, Dilantin, which is the anti-seizure med. So, um, you know, when I was going through the blood brain barrier disruption, the chemo up in Portland, I, I was more prone to have seizures because I had the scar tissue on my head. So that's why I'm prone to have them now because of the scar tissue. Um, so the Decatron was something that I had to take for a long time. And it's not, it's, you have to really moderate it because it's really bad for your kidneys. Um, but I didn't, I wasn't exactly like faithful to taking it all the time, but I mean, cause I, because you know, I, you know, I got endurance sports and um, you know, athletics and stuff can, is very healing in itself. Um, but still, I, I still took the medication and every once in a while I would have an episode and, you know, there's a lot of lessons to be learned in that. Um, when you, when you think about people with, um, who have seizures and through my own personal experience is there's for me, and I think for people with epilepsy, I haven't really done the research on that side, but um, because I have scar tissue on my head, that's why I'm prone to them. Um, there's a certain, a, a, a perfect storm is created for me to have one. And the first one is fatigue. Okay. The second one is lack of sleep and travel. So when I, when I was, you know, got my groove on in the corporate world, I was like, man, I'm, I'm flying all over the country. New York, LA, Chicago, just doing all kinds of business and everything. And, um, you know, and along with that comes, you know, social stuff, you know, yeah. So, yeah. you know, you know, we stay out late, close a bar down and stuff and, you know, make, make good friends. And, um, but every time I get back, you know, and, and oh yeah, and flying as well. So you throw flying in there as a fourth element to fatigue and, you know, all that stuff. Um, so now, now I know, like, if I'm going to travel, um, I, I'm, I've really like curved my, if, if I'm going to have a cocktail or something, it's going to be one, if not nothing, you know, when I'm on the road, because if I, if I, if I got a keynote, if I'm speaking, like I gotta be on my game, yeah. like I'm, I'm not, there's no way I'm going to like risk that for my audience. Um, so, and, and just just in general, you know, it's, it's been 20 years remission and, you know, I'm was 20 in my twenties now I'm in my forties since then. What? Is that how that happens? I know. Right. It's like, Oh, what, are you, 40, what the hell? Now with that, you had to wear a helmet when you're 
when you don't have a piece of bone on your head and your brain is exposed and we know what's on your mind, you're wearing a helmet, you're, you had issues with balance and language and I mean, this is your brain that they're messing with. They remove the tumor, so they remove the issue. You have the scar tissue. They did the chemo for the cancer, but there's a lot of residual other than the epilepsy or the, I'm sorry, the seizures, not epilepsy, seizures. There are a lot of other things that you're really struggling with. And here you had gotten your degree as an engineer. We've gone through the dot-com bust, the housing market. I mean, like there wasn't a job for you in engineering anyway, but also this consumed your life. Yeah, well, um, what, what aspect of the time frame? other issues did you have that you were struggling with other like not that seizures are a small thing but you were having trouble with your memory and with speech what oh, yeah. were the biggest things yeah it was um you know when i when i finished chemo, even though i was going through chemo then when i finished and then i was able to kind of go out and socialize and everything when my blood counts were were sufficient to where i wouldn't be at risk of getting pneumonia or anything um you know this is like really discouraging for me because having conversations like we're having right now and imagine like if we're having this conversation 18 years ago i would have to go back and say what were we talking about again i mean not that that's not happened in this interview but it was a lot worse back then okay. so like if i was if i wanted to try to have a conversation with somebody back then or try to understand and re you know just have feedback i couldn't remember I, it, it was it was really difficult for me and that really like weighed on my my ego and my self-esteem and it just like i was i was afraid to go out there and talk because i i i knew what i wanted to say but i just couldn't get it across and um you know eventually you start to build like defense mechanisms around that type of thing okay and um and you just kind of do do the do the best you can, but um, you know one of the things about the brain is even though they took a racquetball out of my head, um, the neurons had a you know I, I complete hundred and ten percent believer in use it or lose it, especially something that happens in the brain because if you have brain trauma, it's not that you are um, it's not that you're disabled. Um, you might be a little bit slower um, recovering, but I think, especially like in the sport of triathlon to where, um, and even running to where you can shock your body, um, you know, getting in ice cold water or running for a marathon, we actually have to dig deep, you know, something that transcends the body and it goes into the spirit to like get you across that finish line. Um, that, that creates resilience resiliency um in your brain and it you know you, i mean i don't you know i don't want to go back i don't want to go into like nutrition and everything but i mean nutrition's huge right you, you think about like like for me the thing that i discovered over the past few years is how much uh carbohydrates and sugar are correlated to having seizures ah so, you know i have a son who's autistic and there's a huge correlation in how well he manages that depending on sugar predominantly sugar it's number one but carbohydrates they turn to sugar in your body mm -hmm. so you have to be aware of that it's converting to sugar and um being outside so he can manage his autism 
much better if he gets outside for at least 20 minutes a day and he minimizes all of his sugar. So I'm anybody who has um, a longer term illness or something completely different because not many people I've talked to have malignant brain tumors, but the, the things that you do for those, for that, that helps are the same across the board. It's exercise and diet and then using it, using it, trying. Exercise and diet and having the right support system. Oh, huge. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's take the back. You have 20 years this July, whoop, uh, July, 2020. I think that's fantastic. And 10 years of my hometown heroes. Now we're coming on 10 years and it, it has a separate nonprofit place in your life now. So lots of change even in the last 20 years, but in the last 10 and what have subsequent surgeries been? Cause you said you went under anesthesia 30 times and I've only heard about three. So unless yeah. Well, I mean, going through chemo, like, you know, flying to Portland, Oregon once a month for an entire year, it was back, you know, surgery or uh, general anesthesia twice ah. back, back to back days. So that was 24, you know, easy right there. And then plus the craniotomies, you know, those counted for a good handful as well. So, you know, my, my particular cancer, primary central nervous system lymphoma, primary meaning originating in the brain and then lymphoma, the nature of the cancer and central nervous system is your brain and your spinal column. Um, so when, when Dr. Linda Liao from UCLA, so when we went into the consultation in, in LA with Dr. Liao, my dad and I, she gave us two options. She said, you, we can wait another three or four weeks and get a custom plate that fits your head perfectly, or we can, we can get right into it in a couple of weeks. And, you know, um, when I'm operating on you, I'm going to make this cranial mesh that's harder than bone, which is actually like more of the like an organic solution, I guess. But um, so I don't know. I don't know who knows what, I don't know what the long-term on average the data is for primary central nervous system lymphoma in terms of survivorship, but I'm going on 20 years now. So what had happened, you know, 15 years later, was it? Yeah, so um, almost 16 years later, so 2016, um, I'm out running, go figure, down around Donner. And I'm like, I'm running. And you know, like when you go to the, the optometrist and they, they test your vision and then they, you have that button that you click whenever you like see a squiggly line. Yeah. Um, so like every time I was, um, every step, I, I saw like the squiggly line, every, every stride, squiggly line, squiggly, all the way around Donner Lake. I'm like, that's weird. That's really weird. Um, I wonder if something's going on then. And then, um, and then I had, I got like a, like a weird blister where I had my operation back then. And, and then it, it went away and then it kind of resurfaced along another side of the scar on my head as well. And then it ruptured and I didn't, I felt fine. I felt perfectly fine. And then it happened again. I went to my family doctor and she says, you need to go see a, see a neurosurgeon. So I went to go see Dr. Demers and he's all, yep, it's got to come out. You have a, you have a staph infection. Oh, that's what it was. Okay. Yeah. So, um, so even though I had the craniotomy back in July of 1999 and what she had taken out, there's the bone continued to grow, grow 
over the years, you know, 15 years of triathlons and travel and business. And I was here, I was like living my life. So that what happened is the bone kept growing and started growing into the, the, uh, the fixture that Linda Liao put in my head back in 1989. And over time, it started to deteriorate. Got it. That structure, which is what caused the symptoms, you know, the blistering and the, the weird vision and everything. Um, but uh, so, yeah, I had to go back under the knife in, uh, was it, uh, I think it was like the end of September 2016. So they took out everything that was in there and out of the collective experience of, so Dr. Demers is my neurosurgeon here. He's a stud. So he actually knows Dr. Linda Liao. He's good friends with Dr. Linda Liao, who is my neurosurgeon 20, you know, or back in 1999. Right. So they're good friends. So I was like, that's pretty cool. And then my anesthesiologist, I was her cycling coach for her and her husband and team of training back in 2007. So like they were, they were, and I had like the dream team working on me. Yeah. And um, so I came out and then I had a, so they basically took out, there was no protection to my, my brain for three months. That's why I had to wear a helmet. Right. Back in 2016. But I was out and about, you know, wearing my helmet, you know, working and stuff, supporting it with style. And then, um, you know, I had, I had to go through IV therapy like every day for six weeks. And then once, then he ordered a custom uh, spaghetti drain for my head to replace, you know, what was in there. So now I have, I got full on titanium. I'm gonna get like five bars, Wi-Fi everywhere. Uh, like I charge, like I should charge like Verizon for, the shit that comes out of my head. Right? Because I get a really good movie channel when I'm next to you, so. I know, right? You know, like your cable's free. So they did, they took out the mesh that you had done and cleaned up the bone that was growing mm -hmm. and gave you the IV therapy for the staph infection. Like, oh my God. Um, was there a concern about, like a staph infection is usually when you say those words, it's very frightening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, all this investing that I had done by staying fit all these years and just pushing my body to the max, like like the collective experience of everybody who was in the operating room, my, my anesthesiologist, so I, who I, was, I coached my cycling team, Dr. Demers, everybody else in the operating room, and the, their collective history, they had never seen anything like it. Um, you know, and they, I mean, they had to take pliers and a drill to like, break that stuff up in my head. Like I have pictures of, I have a picture that's crazy. And I got pictures of the, the dome, you know, that he put in my head. Like I, I got all that stuff, but, um, yeah. Um, so all of the physical stuff that you had done helped you. Uh, oh yeah. So, yeah. So basically they said, because you're, you're so fit because you've been so active, there was a balance between your immune system and the staph infection to where your body never got sick. Oh my God, that's incredible. Yeah. So it kept it in one place, basically. Yeah, yeah basically, well, I, I guess, yeah, for lack of a better term, it just, it didn't spread to any other parts of my body to where it became, I guess, more life-threatening. It was just isolated in this, this area, but I was so, I was so fit and healthy and I, you know, any, any time you're like on the bike or you're, you're running, you feel good, you know, you get those, those endorphin, endorphins, that's still my my, my drug of choice is I love to go exercise, you know? Um, so every time I'm having a bad day or I feel stress, I go out there and break a sweat and, uh, I feel much better. 
So you had to go three months with the helmet and with everything off and they, what was a spaghetti drainer? Cause that sounds fascinating to me. So I mean, basically if you look at, I'll have to show you a picture, but um, the, the plate in my head now it's titanium. So it's like, I'm like freaking part terminator now. Um, it it's, yeah, it, it's just, it just replaced what was, what was in there. And it was, they, they custom ordered it. And it, it took a while. And so basically the, the plate in my head has a bunch of holes in it, like a spaghetti drain. Okay. So like, you know, when the blood circulates through my head, it doesn't get clogged up anywhere, I guess. Okay. So your brain can breathe basically. Yeah, I guess it's, it's, yeah. Good airflow happening. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was a complete, that was like who goes 15 years after a malignant brain tumor. And then like at some point it's, it must not have been a complete surprise that at some point something would have to be looked at again or redone or did they think it was like forever you're good well i mean when you you know going through my ordeal back 20 years ago and then having this fixture in my head and i, I always knew like kind of in the back of my mind that one day we're gonna have to have another operation just didn't know when and i don't know just i don't think the universe works in mysterious ways because um you know, I left corporate 2015, symptoms of the staph infection in 2016. So part of that, part of that transition, I know we kind of, kind of bounced around on this, but, um, you know, one of the big components for me to breaking off of my own was health insurance. So I had that component already dialed in. So I was on COBRA for 18 months and, and during, <laughs> yeah, like everything worked out couldn't have worked out better from a timing standpoint because I had that Cobra payment I was making, like, I don't know, 350, 400 bucks a month. So like when I had that staph infection, um, I already had, I already had insurance. That's crazy. Okay. So I want to talk about transitions cause we're going to start wrapping up here. We know about my hometown heroes and why that launch and why that's so passionate and that you give scholarships. It's to, um, adults with cancer 17 to 39 years old young and, adults yeah you have a statistic on there that there's about 15 to 39 years old there's a statistic i remember reading one of the biggest things is that this is a demographic that has a huge amount of student loan debt well i mean the student loan debt among cancer survivors is the same student loan debt about as any college graduate so you know when you so uh, according to the um Either, I think it's a National Cancer Institute, one of those, it, it changes, it kind of changes every five years or so, but when I was finished with chemo and the data started coming out, it's like every year there was over 70,000 young adults between 15 and 39 who were diagnosed with, with that cancer. So now that statistic, the latest statistic is 77,000 that are diagnosed a year. So you take the, um, every, the percentage of high school graduates that go to college is almost 70%, not necessarily like the year after they graduate high school, but I was, when, when I was a Senator at UNR um, at 22 and 23 years old, the average age at UNR was 29 years old. Right. Believe it or not. So, um, you know, so you basically crunch the numbers, right? You look at the, you look at the data and the statistics, you know, if the average student debt is $40,000 um, upon after 
graduating college and you you take the the percentage of young adults who go to college which is you know roughly 70 percent and then you factor in um yeah you, it, basically on a on a conservative note this population student debt after college graduation is one billion dollars a year it's just for this just for this population right right um, so I understand the passion you have about that because you are you are a cancer survivor with 20 years. Yay. But I really, I want to talk about the transition because you've brought that up a couple times. I've done only sprint triathlons, but I understand the transition. I loved when I read that on your website, I was like, oh my God, I love that that's the fourth thing. Like for triathlon, it's swim, bike, run, but there's a fourth discipline. Um, that you need to learn and that's a transition and that is everything in the triathlon i mean everything it's the difference between people doing really well and really sucking and i didn't realize that till i had done one but the same thing happens in every phase of life when there's a change happening can, can we finish on like the tran transition and how people can embrace that and learn that and do better with that part sure um, did, did we talk about this earlier about the, the three disciplines? Yeah. So we did the clarity, commitment, and community. Okay. Yep. Okay. So um, whether, whether it's in life or whether it's in triathlon, so, you know, forgive me if I'm repeating this, but uh, just want to bring everything back together and back into context. But, you know, the three lessons that I learned about success, you know, because I, I am an Ironman triathlete and it really falls in alignment to my story. Um, the lessons that I learned is, you know, we get really good at our disciplines. We get really good at our habits, whether they're good or bad. Um, we get really good at our jobs, but then when adversity strikes or, you know, you lose your job or you, um, you know, you get sick or you lose a family member or whatever, there's, um, that's, that's tough shit. You know, I mean, I'm not, not I'm saying that's like tough shit, but it's, it's hard. It's yeah. difficult times. Right. You know, so you um you you enter a, a phase in your life to where normal you have to adjust to a new normal you know like we are today in the in the covid area era um and you know during that period of adjustment you have to you have to somehow find uh, you have to somehow center yourself you know find out you know, cause you know, life could get really crazy, but you have to be able to ground yourself, you know, whether, whether it's through running, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through reading to where, to where your mind isn't like scatterbrained all the time, something to like really focus on. And when you could find that, you know, for me, it was cycling, you know, for other people, it might be yoga, for other people, it might be reading, for other people, it might be writing, but you know, we all have our different forms of meditation to ground ourselves. Because if, if, if we don't ground ourselves, things get out of perspective really fast. Um, and I think when we're able to ground ourselves for a certain amount of time um, and be consistent with that, we consistent with that habit, um, things become more clear, the clarity component about um, what are the things, okay, this is who I want to become, or this is what I, what I want out of life. Um, so now that I've identified what it is that I want, and I have that clarity, now I have to commit to the process of getting to it. So that's the second discipline. So like for me, for when I worked for that startup company and came out of chemo and 
you know, coming out of the dot-com recession and I got a little bit of taste of sales in the concert touring industry. I was like, man, I like this, like it a lot. So I had opportunity to where, you know, we focus primarily on entertainment, but I also grew up playing sports, had a passion for sports and had all my favorite athletes growing up. So like, well, this is, this is an untapped market for our, our business. So I just, you know, in sales, I you know, had a great mentor. Um, and he, he just taught me enough, but I, I was so passionate about it that I just figured shit out on my own. And yeah. I started developing like corporate partnerships. And then next thing you know, I'm working with the New York Yankees. I'm working with Visa. I'm working with Miller Coors. I'm working with NASCAR. And I was committed to that process. But, but because I was committed, I was able to succeed. And I had that clarity as well. And then, you know, of course, like you can't do it alone. So community is a third discipline to success, you know, for, you know, whether you work for a company, like for my foundation, for example, you know, I'm, I'm the passion, you know, I'm the kind of the visionary of, the, of it and everything, but passion can only take an organization so far. You have to build a team so you can move forward together. Cause you, you know, you probably heard the same, you know, if you want to, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Yeah. So, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, I think we, as entrepreneurs, we have a lot of passion, but when we're first starting out, we don't have, we don't have that sensibility that these are all the other things I need. Cause you, you know, you can have a lot of passion, but you could also burn out with passion if you don't have the right support system. And that's a transition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Getting everything put together to take care of yourself. I love it. So people know where to find you. What in your, in the Danny Heinsohn website, who, who you're working with sports teams now still, what is like your ideal client? Yeah. So I'm, I'm in, so the Texas Rangers um, opened up their new stadium this year. And so for me, I'm just really leveraging all my relationships that I've cultivated in, in sports and, in um, sponsorship activation and entertainment and because um, they, they know they already know my story so now I'm coming at them as a different kind of brand okay and now I have a story and I have a platform I have a keynote platform and if you know a lot of a lot of businesses and a lot of people are, are struggling right now through this transition like how to adapt and I think some are able to adapt faster than others but um, you know it's this transition where people get stuck so you know my platform, you know, obviously, you know, the Texas Rangers are interested, but you know, it's it, the whole, I mean, the whole sports entertainment industry is it, you know, so many people are like, that's their livelihood. You know, it's, it's tough. It's hard times right now. Um, but um, you know, I, I'm, I'm still, I did a virtual keynote for Temple University a few weeks ago. So that was pretty awesome. So I can, I can still get my message out there because, because my, story really starts at college graduation like the college market's a really good market for my story a good fit right but it also it also fits into sports as well because I, I do have that affinity in the sports industry and i i think my message and everybody we all go through transitions you know you know you've been through transitions i've sure. you know it's it's nothing we all we all go through transitions but um you know, through the context of what I went through, I, I share the listen, lessons that I learned. So in terms of like audiences, my ideal audience, I think um, colleges and universities is, is probably going to be like my, my prime area, but also, you know, being able to leverage my relationships in the sports industry. And I think 
those three disciplines can relate to a lot of things. Anything. Danny, thank you so much for being on and sharing your story and making me laugh like I have missed that. So thank you so much. Yeah. Pleasure, Jen. Thank you.